a heist for gold bars, a traffic jam for the ages, Mini Coopers driving everywhere, all this can only mean one thing. We're comparing the Italian job on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. And welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. Retro vs. Remake. Okay, the podcast where we discuss films and their remakes. Today's episode is The Italian Job. So the original Italian Job was made in 1969, starring Michael Caine, Noel Coward, Benny Hill, Tony Beckley, and Maggie Bly. Directed by Peter Collinson. Screenplay by Troy Kennedy Martin. And music by Quincy Jones. Italian Job 2003, starring Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, Ed Norton, Jason Statham, Seth Green, Moss Def, and Donald Sutherland. Directed by Felix Gary Gray. Screenplay by Donna and Wayne Powers, and music by John Powell. And there's also a Bollywood remake, which we're not going to go over, but it's called Players, and it was made in 2012, and it's actually a remake of the 2003 film. Which might actually oh. be a easier comparison to do, since these two films yeah. are completely different. But before we get into that, um, maybe you want to go over your experience with these films? First experience? Yeah, so the original film, my first experience was actually watching it for this particular episode. Um, you know, we'll get into opinions and things of that nature, but that was my first time seeing that film. I don't know, it's all a haze. I remember watching this remake, you know, it came out around the same time as... Ocean's Eleven, I think Gone in 60 Seconds was around that time. Just a haze of uh, heist movies during that early 2000s time period. I remember watching the remake, but this was a refresher. It's been a few years. I haven't watched it since 2003, honestly. And I have never seen either one of these films. I knew nothing really going into it. I knew there were heist films. I knew that there was some car chase. I didn't exactly know what it entailed. But I knew nothing. I just knew heist. That's it. <laughs> I knew nothing about these films. As I was watching it again, the only thing I really remembered was the Mini Coopers. First experience-wise, I remember watching it. And honestly, like rewatching this, I could barely even remember <laughs> what the plot was about. So this was a refresher course. Yeah, you know, even though you haven't seen either film, I feel like there's no real advantage for me here seeing the films, because I don't remember almost anything about it, other than there were car chases and Mini Coopers. Yeah, cars. I knew it had something to do with cars. That's about it. <laughs> so we're, we're basically starting at the same point here. All right. All right. So let's get into the synopsis. Uh, this is going to be a bit short, because like I said before, these films are very different. Many changes were made in the remake, so I'm just going to cover the similar plot points, which they don't have many in common. But here we go. It's a gold heist. A man named Charlie is out to get millions of dollars in gold bars. He puts together a team of skilled thieves in different areas such as driving, computers, and explosives. The gold they want is being transported and the team decides to steal it while it's on the move. The plan involves controlling traffic lights in order to get the vehicles transporting the gold exactly where they want. This is also done so they can get away as quickly as possible. They plan on stealing the gold in three Mini Coopers, red, white, and blue respectively. After much planning and preparation, the day of the heist finally arrives. After executing the plan, the team is able to steal the gold. The team uses the Mini Coopers to move the gold, and the chase ensues. 
They drive all around locations, usually not traversed by motor vehicles, sewers, stairs, etc. The team eventually outruns their pursuers and meets up, placing all three cars in a larger transport. After getting the gold away safely, each film has their own ending. So, really <laughs> broad synopsis there. There's a lot of differences here. I guess we should talk about the major plot point differences. Yeah, we should to break into it. So, the original film opens with uh, the Italian countryside. You know, there's a Lamborghini driving around. You're getting a lot of footage um, from a dashboard cam. Really, nothing's been established in terms of what's going on and murder. <laughs> yeah, just I was taken aback by the the original because, like I said, I had no idea what it was. I knew it was a heist movie. I had no idea it was a comedy. I had no idea going into this that this original movie was a comedy first and a heist movie second. I thought it was going to be like the remake was a heist movie with a bit of humor thrown in there. I had no yeah. idea. So, like everything that's happening, it was just like. I don't know if it's just because this is filmed in the 60s, but this is such a weird tone. I, I, like Once I realized, right. once it clicked in my head that it was a comedy, it was like, oh, okay, that's why they're doing that. That's why that's such a weird setup that they have there. So, yeah, <laughs> that was weird for me, the guy just exploding and dying. And honestly, at that point, I, I had given it up to it being like a 60s movie. Um, I really didn't feel the comedy aspect of it just yet, it was jarring and kind of a strange way to to do that. But you know, he. But now rethinking it, like that first scene, if you put it in the context of a comedy, is actually hilarious. Yeah, because it's probably. I'm sure there's like a lot of movies out there where you're just following this really cool guy in this really cool car, and then he's just driving. And it's just, I don't know. He's probably getting some cool location, getting some women or something. But in this movie, they put a spin on it. He dies right away. You think that might be right. the protagonist, but nope, he's dead right away. Yeah, right away they they kill him with the um, they use that construction vehicle. They push his car over the side, which uh, keep an eye on that. A lot of cars going over the side of hills. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, are they cleaning that up, or are they just leaving all the debris there? I got a little uh, environmentally conscious watching the original here. I was like, ah, is that why we have climate change? Because of this movie. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm sure they yeah, didn't have so, the laws they have now in order to clean that stuff up. They probably just, yeah, nature will take care of it. Left it there. Yeah. Of course. I think you make a good point that there's this bait and switch element where you think you're looking at your protagonist driving along. You realize this person gets killed immediately. And then you see your, your real protagonist, Charlie Croker, who is leaving jail after doing, I believe, a two-year stint in, um, in prison. You immediately get this, this feeling that he's a bit of a rascal. You know, <laughs> so the comedy starts uh, starts coming through and he gets picked up by a hot blonde, Maggie Bly, uh, who plays Lorna in the movie, picks him up. And you immediately find out that they're, they've stolen the ambassador of Pakistan's vehicle to pick up Charlie. So within the first few minutes of the film, you're getting some pretty good exposition. You know that he was in jail for crime, obviously. Um, he's a bit of a ladies man because he's getting picked up by a woman. And he's not quite out of that life of crime because the first thing he does is he gets into a stolen vehicle minutes after getting out of jail. So it's a really cool way to intro the characters in a really short, succinct way. Yeah, it was cool. To, it's like, oh, she, she stole this car from the, uh, I believe it was the ambassador of Pakistan or something like yeah, that. That's right. And it's like, oh, wow, what a cool character. I can't wait to see what she does during the heist. 
Okay. No. <laughs> oh, no. wait, she's not no. going to be there. She's going to be gone. So, yeah. <laughs> I had some issues with the original, I suppose. Sure. Some unanswered questions, but we'll get into those. I, I think the original does that really well. Unanswered questions that, you know, in the back of your mind, you have to just kind of keep going with the movie. But there's so many spots in it where I'm like, wait a minute, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope they address that again. And they don't. They so, never do. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll get to some of those plot points. So, you know, he gets picked up and then him and Lorna go to a hotel room where Lorna has a big surprise for him. I would say, would you say uh, prostitutes or I guess hoes from different uh, <laughs> area codes, as it were. It was an international um, smorgasbord of women. And that's Charlie's uh, getting out of jail present. The movie implies that he had sex with 17 women. <laughs> and that, I mean, and that's where the again, that's where the comedy really starts co- coming into play. And it, at this point, for me, I hadn't really registered how much of a comedy this was going to be. Even at that point, I was like, "All right, that's a bit strange," you know. Like it's starting to get kind of funny. Even like the way he walks out of the room after, he, you know, he's uh, he's hooked up with all these women. He just has this like real kind of beaten up look to him. And uh, he goes, he was slipped a note at the front desk and he goes to meet someone in another room. Turns out it's the widow of the gentleman that was killed in the first scene. So he meets the widow and then that's where he gets the film. And then that's when he learns about the heist. So it's pretty straightforward, the original, I suppose. You know, the guy learns about money. He puts together a team and then he steals that money. Pretty straightforward. The remake, though, they, they change it up because you actually start with the heist right. and then there's a betrayal and a murder and they have to avenge and get the money back. So there's slightly different motivations there in the remake. Right, yeah. Michael Caine's Charlie gets his directive, more or less, from uh, the widow of the gentleman that that passes in. He learns about this Italian job. You know, he can, he can steal $4 million worth of gold in this scenario. And you're right, the new film, they just dive right in. You're almost immediately in the middle of, of a heist in Italy, and that's probably the last time you're going to see, <laughs> probably, excuse me, that is the last time you're going to see Italy in this film. So I hope you enjoyed it in the first five minutes. <laughs> um, I guess the Italian job does come back one more time in the film because Mark Wahlberg references the Italian job. That took me <laughs> out of it. I was like, wait, you <laughs> It's just strange to me how little focus there was on the actual Italian job. It's kind of a run-of-the-mill movie intro, and it's supposed to be this elaborate heist. So, like, all right, you get some intro to the characters. You, there's uh, Jason Statham running away with the safe and making it look like he has a safe while they're underwater, cracking it. Donald Sutherland's character is more or less passing the torch on to Mark Wahlberg, and, you know, there's this sort of almost like a father-son dynamic, even though they're not really related. But, you know, it's the old crafty thief giving the new up-and-comer his his shot. It, it's a, just a completely different way of introducing the concept of, of a heist. Well, it's a heist it's, movie, right? So we start off with a heist. So it lets us know <clears throat> what we're in store for, because obviously this isn't the climax of the movie. So they're just giving us a taste of what's to come. Mm-hmm. And some of the techniques they used here, they'll be using later. In the film too, yeah. so I thought it was a that was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I think it was a good intro in the sense of 
you understand more of the characters um, from the from the onset of the movie. You understand what you understand what most Def's role is. You understand what Jason Statham's role is, and just them actually pulling off a heist. So it's a nice way of introducing an ensemble cast. A little heavy-handed with the foreshadowing of uh, Ed Norton being the villain. There's a few beats in there where it's kind of obvious that Ed is going to be your bad guy. The scene where they say, you know, um, I trust everyone, just not the devil inside them. And there's like a look that Ed Norton gives, and there's moments where you can tell that he's kind of upset that Mark Wahlberg is becoming the number one spot on the team. Like there's some jealousy there. From a movie perspective, it's not a bad thing to foreshadow. I thought it was a little heavy-handed, but, you know, it, it worked. Um, but right there, Ed Norton betrays his team after pulling off this big heist, and that's kind of how your movie starts. So you're getting more of a revenge plot set up mm-hmm. in the remake versus the original, which is not really about revenge. It's more about just pulling off a crazy job. Uh, in the remake, as soon as Ed Norton <clears throat> steals the money and kills Donald Sutherland's character, you know exactly how that movie's going to end. They have to avenge Donald Sutherland and get the money back. So no matter what else happens, how it happens, that's definitely going to happen before this movie's over. In the original, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. I was like, I know they're going to steal gold. Is that it? (laughs) I couldn't exactly figure out what they were going to do. I was having a little trouble, I guess, following the planning in the original. But it wasn't as obvious as the remake was. It's like, oh, well, this is what the movie's about. Right here at minute 25, now I know. At the original, it felt like it could have gone anywhere, really. And, you know, to, to an extent, it does. <laughs> it, it goes to a lot of uh, strange places. <clears throat> that old school British comedy, you know, almost like a Monty Python type of movie where there's just, it's all sort of related, but there's just an assortment of randomness that is all funny, but not necessarily needed to advance your plot yeah. in a lot of situations. Yeah, like like we were talking about Lorna. <laughs> like I thought she was going to play such a big part in that uh, the heist in the original, but they just send her away. And I was like, okay, well she's going to be in danger, right? Yeah. You don't hear anything about her after, after she leaves. So yeah, there's just a lot of things happening in the original. And I don't know if that's done on purpose to sort of mislead you, or if that's just they maybe just forgot <laughs> that. Oh yeah, that character should have done something. Uh, whatever, just have them go away now. Because a lot of characters in the original just kind of go away. Well, There's not not everything's completely resolved in the original. Like, in the remake, you get a resolution for every single person. Everything. Every, everything. Yeah. So Ed Norton, by killing Donald Sutherland's character, he becomes the antagonist in the remake, which is something we don't really have in the original. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the villain in the first film is the fact that it's a hard job. Like, the job itself is the problem. The job, to me, in the, in the remake is part of it, but Ed Norton is your clear bad guy. He's betrayed their trust, and they're going to try to really stick it to him. In the original film, I mean, there's allusions to the mafia, and there, there are parts where they get into it with the mob, um, but there's really not much going on there. And, you know, there's elements where you're like, all right, maybe Mr. Bridger has some kind of, like, ulterior motive, and, and that's just really not the case either. So the the main source of intrigue here is how difficult the job is. And I will say this, that, um, you know, both films effectively have 
the same type of, you know, heights. You know, they, they confront a lot of the same problems. But I will say the advantage that I'll give to the original is the scope is so much more, there's just so much more weight to it. You know, like there's this, there's this deal between Italy and China to open up a new fiat camp and like them stealing the $4 million actually has an effect on like the economy <laughs> of, uh, of like all of Italy. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Cause you even heard Mr. Bridger, like he didn't want to steal any money from England. He's like, no, it's okay. I'm not stealing money from England, stealing from Italy. So yeah, it did get like weirdly political sort of, you know, I think the first film is, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the first film is unapologetically British. There are so many moments where Mr. Bridger gets his, his morning magazine and has a picture of the queen and his, you know, his jail, jail cell is all fitted with uh, royal imagery. Um, the funny thing, as regal as Mr. Bridger is, within the first five minutes of meeting that character, he makes like three shit jokes. <laughs> like, like, you know, because Charlie breaks him in prison to try to like tell him about this heist he wants to pull off. And he like sneaks back into prison. So he just got out of jail. He broke back in to sneak into the guy's bathroom to tell him about this crazy heist. And, and you're right, Mr. Bridger has no interest in it until he learns that he could stick it to Italy. There's also that element that there's uh, one of the backdrops for the heist is that there's an, an Italy versus England soccer match going on. So there's a lot of nationalism that's going on that is not in the remake at all. Like the remake is more about these sort of interpersonal relationships where there wasn't like a main villain to point to besides, I guess, the mafia, which even when they introduced the mafia, it's kind of like a backdrop. Like they realize when they're watching some of the film that the mafia had been tailing our kind of red hair and protagonist. So it, the mafia is an afterthought. Really, all you have is this heist to go off of. You know, and the fact that you have this this England element that just permeates throughout the film, it gives you two very different Charlie Croakers. You know, there's the Michael Caine sort of playboy in the fancy suits with the Aston Martin, and then you got Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> What's your take on the two different Charlies? Well, like you said, uh, Michael Caine's Charlie, very British. Um... Uh, you know, he's he's the... How do I go into this? I guess there's so many characters in the original. that, And Michael Caine's the only actor I really recognize. So, you know, he's the one I'm able to follow the most. He's funny. He has this dry British wit and humor. And it works for the film. And then you got Mark Wahlberg there, who's... I don't know if he's really funny at all. I think he's just pretty straightforward. It's just Mark Wahlberg, really, being Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Can't think of you anything know, he did to really stand out. Like I enjoyed I think I enjoyed the side characters more in the remake and then Michael Caine was the more interesting character in the original. His uh, his Charlie. I, yeah, I I think that you know, given his star power at the time, Mark Wahlberg is the lead in this film, but you know, honestly, I feel like Jason Statham would have been the better sort of main character just kind of based off of the original Charlie. You know, he's like kind of foppish and British, but he's also portrayed as a, a playboy. Yeah, ladies. He's got yeah. Nice, nice clothes. Women seem to like him. And you're getting that from the, the handsome Rob character in the film, but, you know, he's pretty much just the getaway driver. Like you said, Mark Wahlberg, he's, he's doing fine, but to me, 
he doesn't strike me as being even that particularly good at, at it, you know? Like, yeah. they're telling me he's good at planning things. You know, I hate to bring in Ocean's Eleven here, but, like, when you see, like, the Clooney-Matt Damon dynamic, it feels like those two are able to pull off, like, a big job. And the director or the screenplay never gave me that feeling that Mark Wahlberg was particularly good other than Donald Sutherland passing him the reins. You know, a couple moments where he makes decisions, but they don't really seem to be, like, make or break. Yeah, he's supposed to be the brains of the operation. And, yeah, I don't really get a sense of that, I guess, from Mark Wahlberg's character. I mean, the movie kind of has to tell you, like, hey, Charlie did great, right? Yeah, Yeah. he's so smart. You don't actually get that, I guess, from the way Mark Wahlberg plays it. And you you don't, yeah, I can't see him being um, the mastermind who comes up with all these schemes he's 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 okay you know he's not terrible but he doesn't really do anything um you know either to the level of like danny ocean i suppose right another ocean we're gonna do a lot of oceans 11 comparisons because this is the unofficial sequel i swear well it's like it's like you know that's what they're going for it's like the italian job is the backdrop here in the screenplay but it's so different from the italian job and it's more tailored to be like an Ocean's movie. And you you know that it's because Ocean's Eleven did so well. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right, let's do an ensemble cast. And <laughs> this ensemble cast is, you know, now in the lens of 2019, it, it, it's not it, man. <laughs> Seth Green, most deaf. Jason Statham, which is like, all right, that's cool. Charlize Theron, who does a lot of heavy lifting, by the way. I will say that the one thing that, and I think you picked up on it, is in that original film, you're like, all right, Lorna's is going to be like badass. Like she's stealing cars and she's uh, orchestrating orgies and stuff like that. This this chick's got it. And she doesn't. And I think like the Charlize Theron um, character, I think embodies more of what I think that original um, female lead should have been doing because she was clearly capable and they just kind of say, well, you're you're like a woman, you're a liability, so get on this plane, and uh, thanks for being in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, Charlize Theron, you know, she was kind of kept away from this life of crime. She's more of a civilian, but she comes in, and she, you know, she's very capable, and they need her to pull off the job. Yeah, and they use her, the motivation, she's trying to avenge her dad, right? Because... Donald Sullivan was her dad, so she needs to avenge him. And we see her in the beginning of the movie. You think she's cracking a safe and going to rob from it, but she's actually working with the police. She right. has, like, her own safe-cracking company. Yeah, I, I didn't so exactly know what kind of business it was, but it was legit. <laughs> so yeah. uh, she wasn't in jail. So, yeah, I was happy to see the the female lead in the movie get a much bigger role, a much more involved role, not just right. there for... I don't exactly know what Lorna was there for in the original. I guess she was just there to get Michael Caine laid a lot. I really yeah, don't know, you know what she did. I think it just, unfortunately, she fed more into his backstory. Hey, he, he is a playboy and he likes hanging around with dangerous people, in this case, a dangerous woman. Um, but she's also kind of flighty. Like, she gets upset because he's, like, hooking up with three other chicks and there's this ridiculous fight with, like, a... <laughs> stuff like chicken doll you know i was watching with my uh, fiance and she's like what's that sound i'm like i'm pretty sure that chicken <laughs> is making squeaky sounds yeah some and, weird uh, adr sound effects that definitely didn't sound like it was actually coming from uh, the doll there's a lot of weird adr in the, in this movie by the way that 
could be a character in itself. <laughs> like when they swap the uh, when they swap the program that changes the lights. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> this beep boop boop sound happening. It's just like all right, man. But you're right. Like in the original film, I don't recognize anyone outside of Michael Caine. Um, you know, Benny Hill's in it, which you know they make <laughs> that character. I, you want to take some time to talk about the Benny Hill yeah, Professor so Peach? Benny Hill, he's this professor. What was his name? Professor Peach? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, and so he's the guy um, that's hired. He's the brains. He's the he's the tech guy because the he's whole... the Napster. <laughs> he's the Napster. <laughs> we'll talk about him. Yeah, we'll compare the tech guys. Yeah. Um, so Benny Hill's role, he's he has this computer program, I guess, on a disc, which looks like a film reel. That's how big the computer discs were back in the late 60s. Yeah. And it's supposed to affect the traffic lights because um, mm-hmm. the whole plot is we're going to create this traffic jam and that's how we're going to get the gold to stop moving exactly where we want it to go and we could easily make get in and out. So it's all about planning this big traffic jam. So Benny Hill's character has to... He's just the brains. I don't know if he really explains what he's going to do, but we just sort of i just sort of went with it like okay he's the smart guy he's the brains and whatever he has on that big huge disc thing it's gonna make the traffic lights do exactly what they want but he also has his quirks and he likes the ladies he likes the large ladies (laughs) yes he likes them big yeah mr bridger basically says that you know michael kane's little cast of uh of deviance, yeah, they're all good. You know, you got your your getaway drivers, you got your muscle, but you're gonna need some brains. So they uh, they pull this Professor Peach guy. You know, more comedic, like when they they go to his house and they're talking to, I guess, like his mother or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. It's like English mom, and there's like a lot of comedic beats where she's saying things that like kind of it does fit the tone of the movie, where like she's putting things out there and not really explaining stuff yeah then it's michael like, oh, Caine yeah, has to keep going and, and what did he do and who's with that right where did he do it yeah. <laughs> he... And it's like oh yeah what he did with annette and it's like whoa what did he do and it's like just, i thought for a second to... i thought for a second that annette was one of the cats i was like whoa they're going there in this movie damn wow yeah because she made this like weird line of like because like he had the cat in his lap um when the character's in she's like oh don't do that it'll give them like ideas i'm like whoa whoa there's like this weird animal abuse element yeah <laughs> and uh, you know luckily it wasn't that and that is just kind of like a housekeeper to an extent but you know michael kane i guess he did his research because when he gets professor peach uh he's got like two large ladies in the back of the aston you know it's gonna get get interesting <laughs> professor peach he's, he's, a, he's an interesting enough character but then he doesn't actually do anything the day of the heist. This is another one. Of, my main problem, I guess, with the original is it left so many things just unanswered. And one of them is sort of Professor Peach. So he comes up with the program. They actually break in the night before the day of the heist. Right. And they install it. And it does its beep, beep, boop, boop, whatever, the next day. And I don't understand um, exactly what he does. They show him... I think harassing a large woman. I don't exactly. Yeah. And he goes to jail. I, I don't exactly know what happens to him. I couldn't follow his storyline. Right. Yeah. So like everyone else is at this like dilapidated like chateau and they're planning the heist and, you know, they're making sure they're not getting fingerprints on things. They're going to burn the map. Like this is a s- serious part of the film. Like this, it's about to go down. Like Michael Caine's like, we are doing this. Professor Peach is apparently in the city, like getting on like, a tram or like a bus 
and he sees this like large woman who he harasses. And you're right, and there, there's this Benny Hill moment where they like speed up the audio so you can't understand what she's saying. Yeah, that that was weird. Like, Why they sped up the audio? And I was gets, like, what? She gets stuck in the door because she's large, and it's just like, okay. And then he has to push her butt, yeah. and he likes touching her butt. Uh, it's yeah. And, and you're right; it's unresolved because, like me, me again. I was watching with my fiance, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, it, do they need him? Or like, <laughs> it's just. Like what? What's he? Isn't he supposed to be doing something right now? Yeah. And, like, shouldn't he be doing something with the traffic lights, or was that already yeah. taken care of when they broke in the night before? I wasn't sure if he still had a role to play because the day of the heist was here and he wasn't doing anything yet. I was like, and, and honestly, when you really think about the film, because like they kind of had the program before, he was supposed to, I guess, do like logistics and make sure everything went down. But it, it wasn't even like he really did much. <laughs> Yeah, but there, so, I guess it was a nice way to get Benny Hill in the movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess. Like, and we're, I just don't understand like his scenes the day of the heist where he's with that woman on the bus. I, I, is he going to jail? I, I didn't understand what <laughs> the point of that was. I guess just to give Benny Hill his Benny Hill moment. Was that yeah. the whole reason of that scene? I, did, I, I couldn't follow. Honestly, I, I think so. But you know, just another <laughs> another thing that's thrown into the film. To give you that sense of like, hey, this is England all the way. This movie is all about, all about the Queen, man. <laughs> uh, it was strange. Uh, in a, I guess his equivalent, his counterpart, uh, right? Yeah, his his counterpart, uh, Seth Green, who plays Napster, who plays Seth Green, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely plays Seth Green. And there's just this running joke that he really invented Napster. And he's like this tech guy, and he, you know, at least in this film, the tech guy does a job. He has a role, and he's consistent throughout the film. So I, I'll give him that. I, I thought the Napster joke was a little overplayed. Like, it just happened way too many times in the movie for me to really, you know, enjoy it. But, you know, I guess in 2003, it was probably a much funnier joke. Yeah, I was wondering, like, watching it now in 2019, if. Even kids watching it would be like, what? What's Napster? I don't get it. Why do they keep saying the same joke over and over again? So, yeah, it could definitely get old, uh, especially if you don't know what Napster is. Right. Um, but I did appreciate, um, yeah, that he did have a bigger role. He wasn't just the traffic light guy. He did a lot of other different things. He did a lot of the uh, sort of the surveillance and just like he was able to figure out which truck had um, the actual gold in it by measuring the distance of the car to the ground. Right, right. So you could tell there's more weight in the yeah. truck of gold. So yeah, that stuff was useful. It was, it made his role relevant. You know, it's like, all right, this guy has a job to do. And you know, he's I, the, he's the comic relief too. Kind of like, it, yeah. Yeah. He's the Benny Hill. <laughs> he's, yeah. I guess Benny Hill was the comic relief. When I wasn't scratching I my head, I guess that was, was... comic relief. Yeah, pretty much. In the first one. I wish that there was a, a Big William equivalent in the movie. There really wasn't. <laughs> there weren't... Um, yeah, there weren't one-to-one equivalents for everybody else. Like, the rest of the characters in the remake, there's not exactly a person you can point to. Because in the original, there are a lot of characters that you're introduced yeah. to. There's this one moment where we finally have the team assembled, and Michael Caine's going around introducing everybody... And I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember anybody out of there except for Camp Freddy, who we already met earlier. And he was the right. only one I was able to follow for the rest of the movie. But right. even Lorna was at that 
sitting and yes, we get was. rid of her. And it's like, why do we have all these characters? Right. Do we need right. all these characters? And I, I know we should be talking about the remake, but I, that, I guess that's what I'm saying is I'm really happy the remake just cut it down fewer characters, gave sure. us more time with them. So I knew exactly who was who and, you know, even gave them a little bit of a backstory when you're introduced sure. to all the characters in the remake or sorry, when Charlize Theron's character, when she's introduced to the team, then you get a little backstory. So it gives them, you know, gives them a little more depth, makes them a little bit more memorable. But in the original, I don't other than other than Michael Caine's uh, Michael Caine's Charlie and Lorna and Camp Freddy, I couldn't remember anybody on that original team. And of course, Benny Hill. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they introduce you to the three sort of like getaway drivers. Who, Can you uh, name any of them? No, I couldn't, couldn't tell you. <laughs> one name of any of them they're i mean again they're also comic relief because they're they're like infighting with the the drivers there's moments where they're like literally about to start the heist and no one wants to sit in the back seat of the van because one guy's got asthma and the other one gets like car sick and there's just a lot of these moments that you know played up for comedic effect but undermine the fact that these are like career professionals and these are the best guys for the job, presumably, and it seems more like slapstick almost. Like, all right, I, I guess they're the best for the job, but also they can't stay focused long enough to actually pull off some elements of the heist. Yeah, it's like they're these professionals, but then they sort of have these childish tendencies. And I guess yeah. that's the juxtaposition right there. So that, that kind of makes it humorous. That's, I think that's yeah. what they were going for. I, I think so as well. Although, you know, there's too many characters to really keep up with, especially if you're not familiar with these actors, which we which we weren't. I will say that one slight advantage there is that people are given a specific role in that situation where, like, for some reason, everyone can drive the Mini Cooper just as good as Jason Statham <laughs> in, in a remake. You know, I guess there's some scenes where they're practicing a little bit, but overall, I guess everyone in the remake is capable in and of, of themselves, but, like, I don't know, like at least in the the original, these guys drive. All right, got it. Cool. They drive. Oh, it's definitely more believable. You wouldn't have one person doing like multiple things. Like you would have like just a driver or somebody that's just doing the explosive or just doing this. But I guess just to right. because if you have too many characters, it's hard to keep track. I understand. Right. Yeah, for a movie, okay, we got five characters. We're just gonna give them a little bit extra to do. That way, you don't have. 12 characters or 20 characters to follow because it does get confusing and yeah. they do get lost in the shuffle. It's cleaner. It keeps keeps things tight, mm-hmm. lets you know what's going on in the film. The remake is pretty efficient with how they use screen time and how they introduce characters. Even when you get wrenched kind of like midway through the movie, he's got a purpose. Like he's going to he's going to help them make the cars work better, you know, to carry the weight of the gold that they're trying to steal back. So yeah, that perfectly fine. No problem there. And there's, um, I feel like the, the sort of Ukrainian mob are kind of like you're the same thing that the mob does in the original film where they're there, they're imposing, but they're not like, you're like, all right, are they going to be a problem in the film? And it, it gets cleaned up nicely in a remake. Whereas in the original film, they're there and they're gone. Yeah. That another yeah. loose end just left. It's like, really? I th- I thought I really thought that that mafia would have like a big, big part in the ending. But let let's let's go into the the mafia for a bit. All right. So in the original, 
The mafia is responsible for killing uh, the gentleman in the beginning of the movie. They're all just standing outside the tunnel while he crashes his car into a bulldozer of some sort. A loader. Yeah, just really not a smart way to kill someone. Like someone has to be in the bulldozer. You got to hope it's that car coming <laughs> that moment. You know, it's why wouldn't he hit the brakes? I, it was probably too late by the time you realized it was there, but. I, I guess maybe it was a sharp turn and it was right around the corner, I guess. Anyway, so there's this mafia and they're all just standing there and it, it was kind of comedic. I didn't, before I understood it was a comedy, they're all just standing outside on the cliff, all wearing the same suits, all these top hats. It's just the mafia. And then they get wind of the scheme that's going to happen, that their gold is going to get stolen. So they intimidate Charlie and his crew by as you said before, destroying the cars with this bulldozer by smashing them and throwing them off the sides of a cliff, creating more of that environmental hazard we were worried about. Sure. I think that's kind of where it ends for them, To for them at least affecting the main protagonists of the story. You do see them later. They're stuck in the traffic jam. Were they the reason oh, that he had Lorna go? I couldn't follow. I think Because they were also at I the airport so. when he sent her away, right? Yeah, because they even they even mentioned something about the airport and finding out like who flew out and stuff like that. But again, it doesn't really come back at all. Um, they're having like this dinner, and I was I was struggling to figure out where they were because like the the mob is like having dinner and all the lights go out when they like mess around with the systems. But then it seemed like they were like close to where. The program was put yeah, in. Yeah, I thought they were in the same building from the way it was at least shown or edited. Because I thought, yeah, the yeah. power was going out and then their power was going out. I was like, oh, they're in the building too. That's weird. Yeah, it's like, all right, are they having like this weird dinner in the <laughs> building? Or like maybe they're trying to be close to close to it because they know someone may mess with it. But I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense. You think that they're going to like... Charlie and his team are going to get away and they're going to be like the final hurdle that they have to get past in order to be away with this gold. And, That's what I thought. Yeah, and that, that I guess that just makes sense <laughs> because you've introduced them. You had them kill, I guess, a friend sure. of the protagonist, so it makes sense that they would try to kill the new protagonist and, uh, I don't know, they just, they just fade away. <laughs> yeah. Alright, we're done with them. Because, yeah, I thought that towards the end when they had more or less evaded the police that there could have been an opportunity for like them to try to confront um, Charlie's team. And I think it, it could have worked that Charlie planned that, you know, like he's, he's the ultimate planner and he had like some kind of MacGuffin of some sort to like get out of it. And it, no, no. <laughs> yeah. There's this, I was just, waiting for them because like we said there's no main antagonist in the right. original and you know the police they're chasing uh the team but there's not really any face to the police but right. we have a face for the mafia we keep get we keep seeing this guy and he's got this ominous look to him and we're like oh man when's when's this gonna pay off sure never <laughs> it that's, never pays off doesn't come back doesn't come back so that's one thing the remake did right um we have the ukrainian or I don't even know if it's the mafia, or was it no, just a I, bunch of Ukrainians? I think they're just kind of like Ukrainian thugs. Um, mafia may not really be the word, but it's some sort of organized crime syndicate in uh, Los Angeles, which is not Italy. <laughs> just wanted to bring that up. I 
like I, I like some of the choices that they make in the remake. I hate how little of an Italian job there is. Yeah. In the well, remake. Let's talk about the Ukrainian uh, guys before we get into the setting first. Sure. So so the yeah, the Ukrainian guys their their motivation, which actually makes more sense than the mafia, you know, like the mafia you would think they would maybe want to get in on this action. I guess they didn't want you know, I guess they didn't want like Italy itself to lose like this this big car deal and they didn't want like their economy to take a hit in some sense, but it's like you're organized criminals. Like you're you steal. <laughs> yeah, this is just fellow thieves. I guess they're stealing where you would steal. That's what yeah. I sort of took. You're in our territory. You can't steal where we would steal. Yeah, you would think that it's like, all right, we've been following you. You got this big job you're gonna pull off. Like we're gonna like take the gold from under you or something like that. Like you would think That's what I thought. that would be their motivation, but it wasn't. And these Ukrainian criminals have a much more kind of like realistic reason to be in this. Like Ed Norton's trying to dump his gold off to um, to this jeweler who clearly, you know, is able to affect like high risk deals. And Ed Norton sort of double crosses him. He realizes that this guy knows where the gold came from, and he's like, "This is too much of a loose end." So I'm just gonna I'm gonna murder the uh, the gold dealer. And turns out he's got connected family from Ukraine, and it, it comes back that now these Ukrainian mobster types are super pissed. And the movie does a good job of making you think that they're pissed at Mark Wahlberg, which they are initially, but, you know, we we find out that Mark Wahlberg's got some tricks up his sleeves. So two times the movie uses revenge against Ed Norton's character yeah. <laughs> as a driving force. Yeah, That's, uh, and, you know yeah. You, you gotta know Ed Norton's gonna be the bad guy when you're looking at what they're doing with his facial hair. <laughs> yeah, by Ed Norton's facial hair, that's how you know he's a bad guy. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it's just like oh man, that goatee thing is. Just, it's, <laughs> I think he thought they were gonna shoot in Italy. That's probably why he had that. Yeah, yeah he read the script and was like, all right. It's, because I mean, if you're if you're filming it, you may think that there was more to that original height scene, like that potentially that was a longer scene. Again, I don't I don't want to shit on it too much because it's a it's a pretty well shot heist. There's misdirection, but I don't know, man. Like I just if you're gonna call something the Italian job, I want the Italian job to, to be front and center. Yeah, so I know, I that's know the main job. issue, I guess, with the remake. It's it you start in Venice, you have the job, but that's not really. The main focus, it's the revenge and getting the money right. back from Ed Norton in Hollywood. Right. So we're in Hollywood for the rest of the film. And I'm just trying to think, why? <laughs> why did they do that? Yeah. I, I, you know, other than shooting on location being more expensive, I mean, there's no real other reason why it doesn't take place in Italy more. Yeah, if, if anything, they re- they should have reversed it. They should have started in Hollywood, and then Ed Norton takes all his money and goes moves to Italy, and then they do it there. It would make <laughs> a lot of things would make more sense. Why they're driving the Mini Coopers too would also maybe make more sense. Yeah, that would make more sense because like the Minis are they, there's not really a reason for them to be driving them. No, in the in the remake, not at all. Yeah, like they have them, and I guess oh look, these like smaller cars. We'll be able to like 
get around places where you normally couldn't. But it's like, well, Jason Statham is a pretty capable driver either way. You know, it, like, you know, it's an homage to the original film, but like, it makes way more sense in the the, the original why they're driving minis because they're just so British. And it was a it was actually a very popular car at the time. They were used um, as rally cars. Um, they were actually pretty good race cars. Um, the time that the minis were popular then, so it would have made sense as a as a movie goer to be like, oh yeah, those are those like fast small cars that everyone likes. <laughs> Whereas like in this remake, it's like, all right, it's a Mini Cooper ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, mm, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying like, yeah, I think reversing it because like you know you could have done a similar type of heist in America. And then Ed Norton, like, flees overseas to, like, Italy character. It, it just makes a little bit more sense for an international criminal to, like, not go to the United States. Like, there's just so many ways you can get caught in the States. And I just feel like overseas, you got a better shot at, you know, hiding your money. or It, it is what it is. It, it's, it's a beef. You're not really going to change it. I think it was a poor decision, but it, it's not, like... It doesn't ruin the... It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't ruin the film, but it it is a head-scratcher. It's, like... Well, you know, it's called the Italian job. We're not really in right. Italy, and it kind of should it, be. And there's no real reason it had to be in Hollywood. Um, so they could have just said they were in Italy. Maybe green screen right. some of those backgrounds. So we thought then they're there. It yeah, it definitely takes it takes you out of it a little bit because you're just like, where's the Italy? <laughs> Why are we driving yeah. Mini Coopers? It's like it's like they threw in the Mini Coopers just because there's really nothing like the Italian job in here. We gotta have something. Might as well use these cars again, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, I think I would be making less gripes about this if they were in Italy. You know, like, I, I think I would be making less Ocean's Eleven references if they had just changed the setting. And and you're absolutely right. that there, It takes zero effort to make wherever they are Italy. Yeah. I, I don't know Hollywood that much. You could say that's Italy. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially considering they shot in Italy. That's true. And so they, yeah, they got those like location shots. <laughs> they could just use those to establish. Oh, they're at a warehouse here. See. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it is what it is. Um, I guess to, to sort of move on past that, we can talk about the heist, the big money scenes in both films. The actual uh, job, the job part the, of the, the Italian. Italian job i feel like mark Wahlberg halfway through the movie <laughs> i like the setup in the original film more because there's just more backdrop more explanation of what they're going to do with this goal because like in the, the remake they still go to the beginning of the movie but you're just dropped right into a heist so you really don't see any of the planning that went into it clearly it was a good plan because there's misdirection and they do it in a clever way but I don't get to see the setup for the Italian job, which is the name of the movie. Oh, wait, I'm doing it again, but I'm sorry. Which is the name of the movie, but, like, the Italian job is almost an afterthought. I honestly, and, just cutting in there, I, I honestly feel like the Italian job is really stealing the money back. I feel like that's the that's Italian the job. job. That's the Italian, That yeah, that's the main Italian job, it, I guess. It's just obviously not in Italy. Which, which honestly, dude, I... I love it. It's a nice twist. It's a nice change of pace. I mean, it's not related to the film at all, the original film at all, but like it's it's a nice way to 
to do it because they're they're all sort of career professionals. And now they have to trick another guy that basically knows all of their tricks. So I don't hate it. There were some elements that sort of took me out of the movie. I think we went over it. But uh, but really, in, in the original, a lot of the film is setting up the job. In fact, a majority of the film, I would say, is them gathering intel, trying to get Mr. Uh, Bridger to help sort of fund the operation, really showing you how they're planning it. They're, they're driving their minis and crashing them. And they're like, we need more cars. We keep crashing them. Like, all that to me gives me a good setup and it lets me know how big this job is. So there's really only one heist that they have to get the uh, movie watchers hyped up about. And I think they do a good job of doing that. I, I'll give you that, that it does help does have a better setup in the original but i do like the remake having a heist in the beginning because i guess in a heist movie you can really only have if you only have one heist and then it's like all of it all it is is build up you need you know i guess it's nice to have some action you usually like to start with some action and then you show off that these people do have skill sets and you were able to sort of figure out who everybody was by seeing exactly what they were doing in that first job in the remake and then, and then it slows down, and then you see the planning that you would see in the original, and then you see the bigger job. So I, I do like, I actually do like the way the remake does it. You get a little action, slow it down, and then you get the big, big action sequence at the end. I just, it's just so slow the build in the original that I'm just waiting for something to happen. A lot of it's just I'm trying to figure stuff out. A lot of exposition, a lot of jokes. Yeah, I, I could use more, a little more action. So I appreciate what they did in the remake. I, I do like it more. That, that, that part. That's fair. That's fair. And there, there are a lot of moments in the remake, uh, to your point, that do more character building. The movie in the remake wants you to like these characters, unless their name is Ed Norton. Uh, <laughs> when Handsome Rob uh, hooks up with Becky the Cable Lady <laughs> so they can figure out what Cable shirts look like and steal uh, a car which honestly they would have been able to steal that car either way but okay I, I, I'll deal with it like, just to give Jason Robinson. Statham his moment right <laughs> exactly uh, Napster there's a lot of moments where he gets to give you his backstory and stuff like that most deaf not not as much but there's, there's kind of a fun scene where him and um, Mark Wahlberg are like setting up explosives and <laughs> And most deaf is just like, yeah, if like the brass of this detonator touches that, we're we're gonna blow up. He's like, I, I love you, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a funny little beat. Yeah, he definitely got shortchanged in like having like yeah. fun stuff to do. But yeah, he had that yeah. moment, and he had a pretty funny backstory too. When he's ten, he blew up a bomb in a toilet, and that's why it's called left ear because he can't hear right. out of one ear. Right. You're right. That stuff really works because there there's action in those scenes that. Builds out the characters, it gives you more of a connection to them. It shows off their skill sets in a s- smart way that still moves along the movie. So yeah, I, I think that you're right about outside of the big job that this other action keeps the audience engaged. So that's a fair assessment. I I, I will concede ground there. <laughs> <laughs> it does help to have a lovable cast that you already love, where um, in the original. It's some guys, and I'm okay with that because I, I I don't care. I want to see, I want to see this job they're pulling off. So there's some similarities, but 
um, a lot of differences in how they pull off the Italian job. So in the original, there's $4 million worth of gold bars that are being transported basically from a cargo plane to, um, I guess, some bank. But it's really for a deal. Like Italy and China are going to start a, a fiat factory in China, so they need the money for that in some way. It's not really explained, but I, I'll go with it. There's this $4 million job, and it's a heavily protected security convoy. There's there's all the gold in the security vehicle, and these guys got to figure out how to get to it and get out of there. And that's basically your basic setup here. Um, as we mentioned before, they changed the traffic lights to do so, and they create a, a huge traffic jam. I'll say that the scope of the traffic jam, to me, was uh, portrayed very very well in the original like they do some really nice wide shots and they show you the plaza being just it's a pretty epic traffic jam so i i like that part of it it gets a little hairy when they actually go to steal the money like the plan does not seem that good (laughs) actually they're, they're setting it up they're like directing traffic the way they want it to go and then they cut off the security envoy with these two big freight trucks, you know, those trucks that will, like, carry multiple cars on them. And then Michael Caine and crew kind of, like, throw in some, like, smoke grenades and just, like, beat the shit out of these security trucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like a clockwork orange all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> it really is like a clockwork orange. It's just, like, bats and, like, sledgehammers. I'm like, this plan sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do against these guys with guns? Sit- bats. <laughs> yeah. It's like you imagine them sitting around, like, the table... So it's like, all right, so we've got this elaborate plot, and I'm Michael Caine. And, all right, so this is the part where we just, like, without any problem, like, overwhelm a bunch of armed guards and then take all their shit. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Like, you feel like maybe Lorna would sit there and be like, do you guys have guns? It's like, no, we don't need guns. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of a cool scene, but, like, it... it Throws out the idea that this was a well orchestrated plan to me, because there's just way too much, way too many loose ends, and they're lucky that that like tank was just a water cannon because if it had yeah, real bullets, that was I couldn't believe that was just a water cannon. I was like, what? That's that's a cop out. Come on, if you're gonna have something so, that looks like a tank, it should be a tank. Don't say it's a water cannon. Total cop out there. It's like what? Like why would you try to protect? Yeah, like $4 million worth of gold with a water hose. It makes zero <laughs> sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. $4 million, what do we use? Should we use guns to protect it or water? Yeah, water. Water. <laughs> I mean, maybe it just plays into the comedic effect of the movie because it is a comedy after all. So, you know, like a gun, it should just be a water gun, a tank, water tank. Maybe that's the joke. It's funny. I'm sure if you have like a British humor, I bet it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you know, he's hitting the guy with the water can, and he's getting sprayed around, and, you know, they go in and they bash him with a bat or something. <laughs> and I do like the element that it's, it's like, after this England-Italy game, so they have, like, these random supporters who are never really explained. But there's, like, a, I, I call them the guys that just open random gates and doors. <laughs> I just thought that was more the crew. I, I couldn't tell who it was. Maybe it was. I think it was just more the crew. Yeah, we don't know who they are because we only met the crew for one second. So <laughs> I just assumed it was the other people I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. That's fair. I didn't know them so much that I was like, oh, it's cool they got more help. <laughs> and the one upside that I'll say, because you know, there this idea of it being a master plan falls apart. But the one thing I think they do really well are the car scenes. I think the car scenes are phenomenal. They do a lot of interesting things. Like you still get the scene where you're you're racing through the the mall or the plaza. You've got the scene where they're <laughs> they're they're in water. They go up a stadium. Yeah, that was crazy. That was a pretty cool shot, you know. So like, there's more action that happens with the cars that to me were were interesting, and you know that they're actually doing this stuff because of the constraints of the time the time period. So like, people were really um, putting their lives at risk, you know. And you know, in the remake, that's happening as well. Like the scene where the that wedding is coming out and these guys are like standing and taking pictures and the cars get so close. To them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. These stuntmen are just like putting their lives at risk because you got to hope that these guys are, are driving down these stairs and these minis. Perfect. So the one upside I will say to, to the original when it comes to the car chases is I think they're more interesting because what it took to get those shots must have been incredible. I'll say this. The driving was definitely interesting. It was it was really cool to see the cars drive to those different locations, which you definitely never see cars in. But they're only like being chased by one cop car at a time. So while it's cool to see the, the cars drive in these places, there's like really no stakes or there's yeah. like really no tension, I guess. And then you got that kind of goofy song playing over it too. Oh, <laughs> man. I loved it. I, love I mean, it is a comedy, so I, I shouldn't be ripping into it too much. But um, no, I yeah. think you're, I think you're referring to "Get a Bloody Move On," <laughs> which uh, Michael Caine does some of the vocals for. Yeah. Or, Self-preservation uh, society. society. <laughs> they play that song a lot, and they're in that. Um, uh, no, so I, I just, yeah, just saying, I liked it. It was cool to look at, but I don't know. I just, I feel like gold's being stolen. I feel like there should be more tension, and it. I just didn't get that sense of tension. I know it's a comedy, but it's it's you're still stealing gold. So give me a little bit. Give me a little more tension. First, I don't know where these cop cars keep coming from because multiple cars crash or like you know fall into the river, but then they're still being followed. Yeah, there's always one car at least following them, even after it's, every car crashes. I, mean, I guess that's. I'm gonna like, chuck that up to the comedy. That's part of the humor of the movie, right? Yeah, I guess so. Like the scene where. Um, one of the cop cars clears like the little ramp that they jumped off of, but then one just crashes into a wall. <laughs> right through a brick wall. Like, <laughs> like, wait, dude, there was no reason for you to miss that jump at all. I mean, I'm laughing here, so maybe it worked. The comedic effect is making me laugh yeah. my ass off right now. Yeah, it's, I guess uh, if you look at it as a comedy, it's working. You have to. But, uh, you have to look at it as a comedy because if, yeah. like, if I'm, I, I didn't know it was a comedy. It really took me till the very end. Once I saw how the movie ended, then I knew it was a comedy. But like, yeah, like I said, during this chase, I'm not enjoying it as much because I, I feel like there should be tension. But I'd have to re- if I watch it under the guise, oh, this is a comedy. I think I'll appreciate yeah. it more. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, I think that a lot of my appreciation didn't really come from what was necessarily happening with the movie in terms of plot development and things like that. I was very entertained by how British it was. Like when they pull off the heist and they're in the jail and Mr. Bridger's coming down the staircase and he's like, 
doing the royal wave and everyone's <laughs> like, England. Like, it was, I thought it was a pretty cool scene. I, and I knew that to get a lot of the shots, like, they had to really destroy those cars. Like, when they keep rolling cars down the hills, at the end, they really had to do that. Um, they really had to drive up that stadium. These are not easy shots to get. And a lot of times, they probably only had one or two shots at it. So I, I appreciate it from that standpoint. But I guess it's the things that I'm liking now that you're you're pointing it out really don't have much to do with the movie um, plot itself, but more of like what it takes to get the shot. So I think your assessment's really fair. No, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like technically it's really cool to watch a car go up on top of a stadium like that. But when you think about it, what was the point of them going up? Because they're just going to go back down. And the cop that yeah. went up with them just kind of looked dumbfounded. Like, oh, there's the cars. Like, if you, if you, think of, if you overthink it, you won't have a good time. You kind of just have to take right. it for the fun, comedic romp that it yeah. is. And, you know, that, that's really what it is. It's a romp. You know, like, there's a, these funny beats. There's a guy running around in, like, his England gear, putting the little decoders down and throwing things off. And, like... The, the van that they get in is all decked out for, like, a soccer match. Like, there's these really strange, funny beats that I appreciate. I Like I said, I think that a lot of it is probably lost in translation because English humor does not always translate for American audiences. I agree with that. I was thinking that this the whole time. I was like, this is a very dry British humor, and, like, especially in the 60s, too, right? Like, that doesn't translate yeah. well to now in, in America, so... You have to be in a certain mindset to really, I guess, get all those jokes. Overall, gets the job done. You know, there's a plot. They they pull it off more or less, and they get the gold. You know, um, or do they? <laughs> or do they? We'll come come back to that. We'll come back, we'll come to, come that? back to that. Okay. Yeah, we'll we should talk, talk about the the, other, the American Italian job. <laughs> the Italian American job. <laughs> <laughs> the job related to the Italian job. <laughs> See, I guess it is the Italian job because they never had the gold in their possession. So they had to get it back. So this is still part of the Italian job from a year ago. It, technically, okay. <laughs> if, 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 I'm, if I'm being nice to them, very different scene here. It's much more serious. You have the revenge thing in the back of your head. This guy killed Donald Sutherland's character. You know, it's really serious. It's dark. You're kind of scared of Ed Norton. He seems threatening, especially when he was alone with Charlize Theron well, at that dinner. The moment. Oh yeah, that part was. Uh, yeah, so that part was definitely. Yeah, before we get into the actual heist, um, so you had said before that we stole, they stole the cable car and the, the clothes from the cable lady, and then he asks her out when she's acting as a cable repairman in order to get the schematics of the house, and they right. have a dinner together. Um, this dinner happens after their initial plan. They had to cancel it because the next door neighbors were having a huge party. And there would be too many people that can identify them. So they, right. they kibosh the plan. And then they're like, all right, you're, they used the dinner as an excuse to get him out of the house. But now since they canceled the plan, she's going to go do the dinner now anyway. Mm -hmm. So she says to him that quote about that her dad said. Right. And then he's able that, to. Uh, she, she trusts people, but not the devil inside them. Exactly. And she says it. He's able to put two and two together. Now, I wasn't sure if she said that on purpose because immediately after she says that she like knocks over a bottle as and everybody comes out so was she supposed to reveal i guess i don't think so. i don't you know, think so you don't think so like she she messed up right that's i, I think she messed up because... yeah that's what i thought too because like we're gonna have to get you to go on a date to get him on another date 
So I didn't understand. But they're right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think because they're still sort of surveying him. Here's my thing. I think their plot sucks. Okay. Because if if it was me right there, and I'm no master plansman by any stretch of imagination, you've set him up, you're going on a date. You know, I hate to say it, roofie the guy. <laughs> like, you got him where you want him. Drug him, tie him up, and go steal his shit. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, the movie needs to do more there. I was just like, oh, man, guys, this is perfect. He wants to go on a date with one of you? This is a great time to just grab him. He's not being guarded at the moment. You know, I'm sure eventually the guards are going to look for him. But, like, I don't know. I, I see an opportunity there that maybe maybe was uh, left on the table. But I, I'm i mostly joking here. Like, the way they handled it was, was fine. But, uh, no, no or, you did bring up a good point. They could have just, or even had her, like, lure him to a hotel, and then they're all just in the room waiting for him, and then they just kind of jump him and just kind of hold him yeah. captive until they actually execute the plan. Yeah, they they could have done a lot, because they did have him kind of yeah. exactly at a position where he's very vulnerable, and they could have done anything. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't rec- I didn't realize that the first time watching. Well, it's like, you, you know, the movie doesn't want you to think like that, but, like, you're just sitting there. It's like, all right, so you've got this guy surrounded. He's more or less by himself. I, I guess his guards are, at some point are going to look for him, but when's that going to happen? Like, you were going to blow up his gate <laughs> while he was gone. So, like, clearly that's not a big issue for you. You know, I, I, I think that the movie presents um, presents obstacles, but in that situation, sort of based on some of the other films that I've seen, I felt like there were sort of ways to handle it. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. It, it actually sort of ups the stakes of the movie as well. That now he knows they're trying to get his gold. He knows they're alive. So they lost the element of surprise, which is uh, what Ed Norton alludes to. He says, now, now I've got you because you lost the, the big thing, the element of surprise, which is part of their whole thieves philosophy, which is why he adds more trucks to his envoy. And there's questions about is he setting us up? So you start playing mind games with the audience and the um, the characters where it's like, now he knows that we're after him. He's getting his gold out of there. Is this like a normal job or are we getting set up? He also says to Charlie, he says, there's no gold left. There's only two bars. I already sold it all. So you're wasting your time. So you are sort of like, you're questioning it the whole time. Like, is it even right. worth it doing this job anymore? Is there gold left? We have no idea. Right. So it does raise the stakes or the tensions and everything. It's just getting crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And to, to an extent, I think stealing from a party that knows that you're trying to steal from them ups the ante a little bit here, um, especially someone that basically worked in your crew. So he knows all, all of your tricks, like all of them. So there's going to be less surprises for him. I guess what made Mark Wahlberg the new number one guy and why it wasn't Ed Norton is, you know, apparently Ed Norton lacks imagination. Lacks imagination. And, <laughs> and I guess Mark Wahlberg has that. <laughs> right. Cause he said, good job in the yeah. beginning, Charlie, Charlie's such a great thinker. So they tell us. So that's why he's so good at imagining things. I, I just wish that they had shown us more other than him, like stealing a wallet from a bully when he was like 10. Like, I wish they had given us more chances to see Charlie at work. And I guess the director and the screenplay, I, I, maybe they felt like they were showing us, but 
I don't know if it was a casting thing. It just never felt to me like Mark Wahlberg was the master planner. I was going to say, I think part of it is we do have this. It's so Ocean's Eleven, right? We're definitely not getting a Danny Ocean vibe from Charlie Croker. Or at least Mark Wahlberg is Charlie Croker. So, I, yeah, I don't, yeah I, they definitely should have given him something to just show, right? I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker. Yeah. He should have done something. You know, like everyone else was doing stuff. I felt like maybe he should have stolen something or, you know, other than just like meeting people and like telling people like what to do or like getting supplies for the job. I just felt like Charlie should have done a little bit more. But, you know, I think, again, that's that's kind of like a personal gripe really based on another film around the same era. A Danny Ocean type there. It's very clear to you that Danny Ocean is a mastermind like that. That is laid out there. And I just felt like, damn, Mark Wahlberg, I get he's the lead, but I never really felt it other than the moments where he was able to bring the team together, which seemed to be his greatest strength was to keep everyone focused. Yeah. Um, doesn't really necessarily make you a mastermind, but whatever. Um, so Ed Norton, he knows everything now. He knows they're after him. So he, he wants to move his money right away. He wants to move it to Mexico. And uh, so I guess he waits till the next day for some reason. He's like, oh, yeah, my, I yeah. need to move my money. But I can wait. I can sleep at least. I would move that money ASAP. I wouldn't be sleeping on it. But he oh, sleeps oh, on it. He had to get the helicopter. <laughs> he had to get the three three trucks. I suppose. But I, I don't know. I just feel like he has enough money where he can get that immediately. But small little gripes. It's okay. So he's got... Uh, like you've mentioned before, he has three different trucks to mislead the team, so they don't know which one exactly has the safe full of all the bars of gold. He has a whole lot of security. He has men on motorcycles. Um, he, like you said, he has rented a helicopter, and that's where Ed Norton is going to be. He's going to be in the helicopter the whole time. Mark Wahlberg did come up with his elaborate plan, and they sort of were setting everything up the night before. So it was really nice that Ed Norton waited until the next day so that the team yeah, did yeah, have time yeah. to... Uh, get everything prepared these explosives and uh, all the traffic light things and everything now ed norton is setting it up because mark Wahlberg said aha he'll move the gold for us that's kind of the new angle which is weird because it kind of fits into the first angle but okay uh <laughs> basically once they're able to establish which truck has the gold they're able to sort of implement their original plan so they recognize that ed norton is is trying to counter them and, you know, they're able to use their their unique skill set. So Napster's able to find out which one has the gold because of how low the truck's sitting with the weight of the gold. They use the traffic signals to send them on a route that they're comfortable with, that they can set up their explosives. It's a nice twist. You know, with the helicopter, yeah, you got Ed Norton kind of playing this, like, eyes in the sky sort of setup. So he's watching the gold intently. So... They take it underground, you know, they blow up the ground underneath the truck and they use the metro to block out anyone that would pursue them. The movie throws a few more twists at you, like the safe isn't the same type of safe when they get down there. Charlize Theron explains that this safe is much harder to crack and like she can't use the tools that she's used to using. So she has to do it like her father by touch. That's cool. It's a challenge and it's an allusion back to 
some of the you know some of the lines earlier in the movie yeah mark um, Wahlberg. she's he walked in on her practicing with all this technology he's like no well your dad didn't do it like that she's like oh i need no, this technology <laughs> right <laughs> sorry <laughs> i just like doing mark Wahlberg impressions um yeah so he's like your dad didn't do it like that she's like i need to he's like no nah, i don't know i think you should do it old school and uh well here she is forced to do it old school just like dad isn't that nice yep yep does it old school hey why don't you just hey you can do it i believe in you <laughs> give it a try and you know jason statham does not believe in her which is, i think is why he's not the lead <laughs> <laughs> he does not think she can pull it off well, but, you know she she starts she starts to drill and then this safe is has like a glass component if you crack it it just it done you're not gonna be able to get in so she she cracks the glass but she doesn't break it so then she has to do it by touch She's able to pull it off. You know, it's a big moment for them. They pack the Coopers, and the chase scene continues or ensues, more or less. There's this added element of, for whatever reason, Mark Wahlberg brings that chopper to the ground, and he's got Mark Wahlberg right where he wants him. Uh, like, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of movies where a helicopter has cornered a Mini Cooper. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we, we get it here. I mean, to the movie's credit, that was all practical effect. That was not a green screen shot. The helicopter real. really flew underneath an overpass and just kind of hung out there. So yeah. that that's we, pretty impressive. You're talking about the original being crazy. technically impressive. Yeah, that is crazy good effects or just crazy good skills of that helicopter. I mean, that pilot, good job, man, because I would not want to fly that low underneath an overpass. That's crazy. Hell no. I mean, just... How ridiculous it is to be able to maneuver that helicopter in that way. Like you said, bravo. That it, To me, that was the highlight of, of the film. Um, Ed Norton's plan with that helicopter, not so much. <laughs> which like, it's about as good as the turn... original plan about beating them with bats. It's about as good as that. It was about as good. It's like, why don't I destroy my helicopter? And, <laughs> like, like, you're in it. <laughs> You're in the helicopter. You should not, like, try to, like, shear off, like, Mark Wahlberg's head with uh, with the blades because, like, you still need those blades for it to function. But, you know, Mark Wahlberg's able to narrowly escape Ed Norton's helicopter. Ed Norton steals a truck, which, uh, for some reason, is able to kind of keep up with a, a tricked-out Mini. <laughs> like, there was a – well, I guess there was gold in it at this point. So, yeah, you know what? Never mind. I'm being a hater. I'm being a hater. So, yeah, the car's way down. gives Ed Norton a chance to, to chase him. The scene that comes up reminds you of, uh, we didn't really talk about it, but when they were at that dinner, and they say, you know, the only thing worse than a thief is a coward. You know, Ed Norton gets there, and he basically tries to pay people off to steal the gold. Like, he, he finds um, Wrench, and he, cheap bastard, gives him $5,000. <laughs> To betray the team. It's like, I'm sure he's doing his job for more than $5,000, man. I was surprised that um, he offered him money, too. I thought he was just going to shoot him and just try to get it. Well, him. yeah, he probably should have just shot him. Because, like, the guy probably had his keys right there. And yeah. He just, you know. I don't know. I, he had no problem shooting other people before, so I don't know why all of a sudden Ed Norton's like, oh, I'll just give you money now. And, I mean, when everyone started to, like, come around, he was ready to shoot them there. Maybe use that gun a little bit more because, like, clearly – you wanted to use it. I mean, from the opening scene, you were willing to, <laughs> yeah. to murder know, for your, the gold. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and like you actually thought all of them were dead anyway, so like it doesn't really matter. But you know, he tries to pay off Wrench. That doesn't work. Then he tries to use his his gun to shoot his way out of the situation, and the Ukrainian mobsters come up behind him. He tries to work out another deal. He tries to say that it was Charlie's team that killed your cousin. Or when that didn't work, he was like, well, I'll, I'll pay you. You know, we can make a deal. And it turns out Charlie and the Ukrainians already made a deal. So Ed Norton is officially out of moves. And as Charlie and the Ukrainians say, this guy doesn't does lack imagination. So his uh, his inability to come up with the creative plans that Mark Wahlberg <laughs> um, <laughs> the mastermind that Mark, Mark Wahlberg yeah that Mark Wahlberg the mastermind can were ultimately his undoing and you know that bad facial hair and being a coward um, seemed to be his, his biggest character flaws at, at that point you know the the new Italian job is pulled off the Ukrainians pull Ed Norton away and he's like oh don't shoot me and he's like well we're not going to shoot you we're going to old timey torture you uh, I got a lot of tools in my uh my shop. So it sounds like Ed Norton's fate is not good. No, not at all. Which brings us to the endings. Hmm. Now, let's back step here and talk about the original, where they pulled off this incredible heist, and now they're recklessly driving <laughs> a bus. They're driving pretty fast on this pretty narrow, steep cliff on like on a mountain. They're well, I'll backtrack even a little more. They're on this mountain so they can get rid of these mini coopers right i guess they want to get rid of all evidence of their crime so they have the mini coopers all lined up at the back of the coach bus and every time they take a sharp turn they let a cooper go so it can fly off of cliff and explode right. and get rid of all the evidence right. they get rid of all three cars but for some reason was it big will big william yeah big william just decides i gotta keep driving fast i can't slow down man and uh they take too sharp of a turn and the bus kind of almost goes off the edge of a cliff and then just starts teetering there ever so gently <laughs> and we're given <clears throat> this is when i knew i was like oh this is a comedy because we're just going to spend the rest of the movie doing this and uh we have the gold at the back of the bus and we have the whole team just like backing away slowly trying to keep the bus from toppling over and Michael Caine's like, I got to get the gold. Every time he steps forward, the bus teeters a little bit more. And every time he tells them, go back, go back, go back. And then the bus keeps going, just keeps teetering. Like, is it going to fall off? Is it going to stay on? And then right. that's kind of, that's it. That's how it ends. It that's just it. ends there. Now, you know, true to the character, once he realizes they're in this this tough situation, and he's like crawling on the floor towards the goal, which who knows what his plan is here. But, you know, Charlie says, I got a, boys, I got a plan. And, you know, in scene. Because <laughs> that, they... <laughs> that Charlie has imagination. <laughs> he does not lack imagination. So, it, I, I like the ending, personally. I like that, you know, it fits the tone of the movie. These characters, yes, they're very capable, but <laughs> they're flawed and they're playing... They're playing it comedically. So Charlie and his team basically have it in the bag. And that's just not enough for them. They got to smoke and drink and, <laughs> and laugh their heads off as they drive through the countryside. And basically, now they're in this tough position. It's like, you, you've got the prize. Here's the gold in the back of this bus. How the hell are they going to get out of this? In the movie, and I think smart, smartly, just 
that's it. Uh, who knows? And it, it's an interesting way to do it. You don't see it a lot in modern films. You don't see a lot of these cliffhangers because I think audiences like to wrap these things up neatly. And the movie was, I guess, brave enough to just let you end on this comedic beat of, oh my God, we're teetering over the edge, but we still need this gold. I appreciate what they that they did kind of screw themselves over, that they were overzealous, celebrating too much, and then they kind of put themselves in this situation. I'm not 100% a fan of, of the situation. It was a little... I like... I mean, I understand that it's a comedy, but it was just so cartoonish, like having the bus teeter back and forth. It really felt like something out of Looney Tunes. And it just, it felt too, too cartoony. It didn't quite fit in with everything else. So it, that really took me out of it. I mean, it, that's the moment I was like, oh, this is absolutely, it's 100% a comedy. None of this was supposed to be serious at all. But it just felt too far down the, the spectrum of like goofy or cartoony for me. So while I appreciated it, I... I and I do want like closure with my endings too. So I was just I was like, what? <laughs> Come on, man! You can't leave me hanging like that, literally. That's fair. So I I had issue with it. That's fair. I think I just fully embraced the British silliness, and I I liked the ride. You know, I liked where where it went. You know, I did like that they foolishly have like they come up with this master plan and then they can't even like drive. <laughs> the bus, you know, to safety. Like, it makes zero sense that they're so reckless, but it also fits these characters to a T. And it is it is goofy, and it is cartoonish, but, you know, it, it doesn't break tone of the movie, so I think it's, it's kind of funny that you're left with this cliffhanger, and I guess, being British humor, it's a literal cliffhanger. Yeah, I, like, I had read that they tried to shoot different endings but nothing fit so they just decided to kind of stick with this it left it a little yeah. more open-ended because they had intended to do a sequel i think the mm. plot was almost like the remakes plot like where the mafia stole it and they'd have to steal the gold back so stealing the gold back which is which is actually the plot of the remake and uh that's yeah. what they wanted to do with the sequel which you know would have made sense because like there's illusions that the mafia is going to like basically try to cut them off and recover the gold. So, I mean, that makes sense. I guess given the fact that there never was a sequel, this is an adequate enough ending. I get it. Whereas your reboot does not want anything left to the imagination. No. they Look, And I appreciated that because after yeah. so many just loose ends left in the original, I was, I was happy to get some closure with the, the remake. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, you took the ride with us. Here's your, here's your protagonist. Your, uh, your, your lovable bunch of thieves, and here's, you know, the spoils of their effort. You know, all the things that they imagined, they dreamed of, uh, are coming true because they got the gold. Jason Statham gets his, his new Aston Martin, an homage to the uh, previous film. Wouldn't you know it, while he's driving recklessly, it's a lady cop. So he only got off of a warning because he's handsome Rob, and he's going to have sex with that lady cop. And he's going to get so, off again, if you know what I mean. Oh. Hey. Oh. Which is great because you know he's British. <laughs> Let's see. For whatever reason, most deaf wanted. Was it a Spanish villa or was it an Italian villa? I think it was Spanish. The, yeah. Which okay. All right. But he he goes to Spain. He gets his fancy library. He gets his, his a room for just his shoes. Apparently, that's what he was into. I guess Seth Green gets recognized as the real maker of Napster, 
after Napster had already like collapsed, that was established in the movie. So I don't know why he'd be on Wired magazine as like the guy that actually made Napster <laughs> in 2003. And then I'm sure he makes that uh, that hot brunette bl- deaf when he blows her clothes off with his fancy speaker. I was gonna say that was played by Kelly Brook. That was Jason Statham's girlfriend at the time. So true to character, he, he has the hot chick in the movie. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. No surprise to anybody, Charlize Theron and Mark Wahlberg kind of ride out. Well, they ride out into the Italian sunset. They're on a gondola. <laughs> and, you know, Mark Wahlberg took the advice of Donald Sutherland and he found somebody to spend the rest of his days with and he's never going to let her go. And that's that's the Italian job. There you go. The remake. I don't know if they needed to have the love story, I guess, between Stella and Charlie. I was okay okay with it i guess but i don't think it really needed it i didn't really yeah, I see mean, a chemistry i guess between the two no it did, it did seem a little it did seem a little forced but like you said I, I don't necessarily hate it at all but you're right their chemistry is not really there like they're just kind of together because they're the leads in that situation maybe that would have got fleshed out more in their proposed sequel uh that movie was supposed to do a sequel called the brazilian job yeah so, yeah, yeah they were going to do a proposed sequel, The Brazilian Job, which almost makes you go, well, if they're going to call the sequel The Brazilian Job, maybe they should have just called this one The Hollywood Job? Hey. Maybe. Maybe they shouldn't have called it The Italian Job. Uh, but before we get there, I, yeah, I like the ending in the remake as, you know, it's like the romance is, okay, that's whatever. But, yeah, you get closure with everybody. You get the, the Ukraine thing tied up nicely. Ed Norton gets what's coming to him everybody gets their dream thing that they had actually discussed when they first got the gold it's all tied up in a nice neat package i mean what what more could you want in your hollywood movies right that's it win for the good guys and then you got the cover of money playing again yeah yeah oh my god they played money so many times <laughs> in that damn movie i know we didn't uh, we didn't talk about it but I, I did like the uh the quincy jones score in the original the remake is fine enough, but it's just kind of like modern music or sort of modern interpretations. Like you said, the cover of Money, you know, it's fine. It works. In the original, I, I like the kind of quirky soundtrack. I love the, the self-preservation society. <laughs> I, like, as goofy as it is, because like, it's just so jarring that it just goes on for so long through that heist, and it's such a crazy song. I like the weird beats, personally. I kind of like oddball humor. It was, I I started watching it a second time and I was able to appreciate it more because I was, now I was viewing it as a comedy. I wasn't going to take it as a serious heist film or or anything. And it it was definitely easier to take as, as it's like, oh, this is all comedy. This is a joke. Oh, he's talking about shooting tigers in India with a machine gun. It's all for humor, right? There's nothing about this that's supposed to be serious. They're going to be teetering at the end of a edge of a cliff at the end of this movie, so nothing that happens here is really serious. Yeah. So yeah, if, once I changed that, I was able to enjoy the original more. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But you know, if you're going to do a heist movie, it's probably smarter to to edge kind of towards what they did in the remake. Um, the heist is the show. You know, there's comedic beats, but overall, it was a serious film more or less so that was that was nice um but the original is just a wholly unique experience and you know there's something to be said for that as well agreed so let's let's talk about 
maybe the title of the remake. Should it be called The Italian Job? I think this is a good topic to go into right now. Because we just watched it. It doesn't do anything, really, that the original did. And it doesn't take place in Italy. That's, <laughs> so there's a, there's a few marks against it right there. It's a good plot. It's an enjoyable film. Some great action. Um, yeah. Should it have been called The Italian Job? Is this really I mean, a re- is this really a remake? Nah, I was reading something where the director basically said that it was an homage to the Italian Job. I think um, it was one of those Hollywood homages where it was, damn, we can make money on ensemble cast pulling off heists, and there's this source material um, of the Italian Job. There was a bunch of iconic scenes from it, the Mini Coopers and things like that. We can play off of that. But really, this film has nothing at all to do do with it. I mean, there there's the connections with the traffic lights and the cars. But other than that, they're two completely different movies. And, and I think it actually hurts the remake because you're thinking about the Italian job in a movie that has nothing to do with the Italian job. I agree with you. I think it was a mistake to call it the Italian job. They should have just... They were going to call the sequel to this movie, The Brazilian Job. They should have just renamed it The Something Job. I mean, Hollywood Job, The California yeah. Job, The American Job, something. Because there's a lot of yeah. homages, but there's nothing from the original. The tone is different. The plot is completely different. I mean, the only thing that you have is Charlie, The Mini Coopers, Gold, and Traffic Jam. Everything else is completely yeah. changed. I feel like you could have easily just called this like a sequel even a spiritual successor and i think it right. would have that would have been a better move than actually calling it the italian job i like when you said like the american job i think that would have been perfectly fine and maybe if you're going to do it like that the like that original heist could have been like in the style of the italian job and then you know when they went to get the gold back maybe they pull a wholly new like american job for a modern audience i think that probably would have served the film better other than trying to force these elements into a movie that really has nothing to do with that original at all. I think I would have had a lot more fun with that type of film because I think it also would have let them get creative with the heist. Yeah. I, I felt like this got hamstrung a little bit. Yeah, but calling it the Italian job, you definitely limit yourself that there's any there's expectations, right? They should have just yeah. They should have just called it the sequel. They would have been able to do a lot more. Been a little more, uh, have a little more imagination uh, put into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think, yeah, it limited the film. It held it back definitely. For sure, I understand the the name recognition was there. People would have sort of, I mean, not everyone, but some people would have flocked to the theaters because, oh, I like the Italian job. Let me see what a modern remake of that looks like. I guess the one thing that does help it is if you don't have that that backdrop of this is sort of based on this older film, you could get more claims that this is a Ocean's Eleven ripoff. So by connecting it to something else, maybe it helped them avoid that criticism as well. Yeah, but I, I just can't see not comparing it to Ocean's Eleven, though. It's it, it's Ocean's Eleven. It's, the, it's, it's Ocean's Eleven. It is. It's exactly just with fewer characters. and Yeah, just... <laughs> how, Man, I can't believe they just made an Oceans movie. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking yeah, about it too. Like, they how it would have maybe been better if they just made an Oceans movie. Like, think about it. Instead of Donald Sutherland's character getting killed, like, what if it was like Brad Pitt or Matt Damon getting killed? 
Like that would have been like, whoa, damn, some yeah. stakes have been raised in this. It would have brought some life to the declining Oceans franchise. I think I feel. Right. Yeah, man, this is about to turn to an Oceans eleven <laughs> conversation. But uh, yeah, Oceans definitely jumped the shark, and I guess they they then had like the all female cast recently. So you know that was a nice way to switch things up. But uh, yeah, the Oceans movies became less inspired as they they went on. And you're right, there's elements of this that would have served that type of movie well. I think the Ocean's movies, to me, work a little bit better because there's more more of a cast, which gives you different ways to chew up scenery. <laughs> like, this guy's going to steal the key card, then they're going to hand it to Bernie Mac, and then Bernie Mac's going to, you know, hand it to this other guy. Like, I kind of like that over-the-top, like, interconnectedness that you see a little bit more of in the Ocean's movies. But uh, this film, on its own, the Italian Job remake, it's just way more efficient with its screen time. Everyone has their, their role. They don't always have to be like playing some kind of like jazz score while someone's handing something to somebody else. Like it was an interesting way to, to do it. Uh, I think Seth Green actually, especially towards the end of the movie, was doing a lot of pretty good stuff in terms of moving the action along. On his face, I enjoyed it. I just wish they didn't call it the Italian job, personally. Totally agree with you there. I mean, so while we might not agree about them naming it the Italian job, Let's talk about, should they have just made this at all? Reggie, should they have made the Italian Job remake? Yeah, the movie is fine enough. One, it's a standalone film. If you've never seen the original Italian Job, or if you have, it doesn't matter because they're not that much connected. I like the cast, more or less. I think my 2019 lens is on, so I've got a little bit less love for Mark Wahlberg these days. But at the time, I get why he started it, and he doesn't do a bad job at all. And I think Charlize Theron does a great job. I'm perfectly fine with the film. It's a little dated. 2003, obviously, Napster jokes were in and stuff like that. But I liked it enough. I think they definitely should have made the movie. But I think we may differ here. I really prefer the original. Um, and I think maybe it's because I like I like comedy. So I, I like that it's this offbeat humor. And I, I enjoyed those elements. But... You brought up some great points throughout the podcast about the logistics of doing it that way. And I think you were right that there's a lot of strong elements in this remake. So it certainly has a place. It should have been made. Yeah, I'm going to even though I had problems with the calling it the Italian job, I enjoyed this the remake a lot. It really has nothing to do with the original. I had trouble getting into the original. Like I said, I really didn't get that it was a comedy. It took me a while to come around to understand exactly what they were doing. But another thing I had an issue with was just so many loose ends in the original and the remake definitely just makes sure that you're not wondering about anything. You're not questioning anything, any what happened to anybody, anybody's outcome. It's a fun movie. It's got some good humor, albeit some of it's outdated with the Napster, as you said. But it, I think it's a good cast overall. I'm, I'm not blown away by Mark Wahlberg. He's probably the weakest link. But everybody else, I think, does a great, great job in there. I kind of do wish now it was Jason Statham, now that you mentioned it before. Would have been, um, been a better movie. Oh, yeah. Might have been a little more fighting in there, too. <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a really enjoyable film. It's, it's, it's exactly what you would expect from a heist movie. The problem is it's, it's really not a remake. It's, it's most likely you have to think of it as more of a sequel or a spiritual successor because there's nothing it has nothing in common with the original. And it doesn't even take place in Italy for most of the film, except for that quick 10 minutes in the beginning. You know, if you can get past that, and if you don't constantly compare it to Ocean's Eleven in your head, <laughs> I think you can have a really good time watching this movie. 
I enjoyed it. And if they make the Brazilian job, I will absolutely watch that because I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't got anything really to add to that. Oh, should we figure yeah. out what we're going to do for the next episode? Yeah, let's figure out what we're going to do for the next episode. I had a suggestion. Thinking nice. Point Break. Point Break? Whoa. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm in. I'm All right. Johnny Utah. <laughs> I haven't seen it since, like, the 90s, and I haven't seen the remake yet, but Point Break. I don't know. I was feeling some Keanu could really uh, help the show, huh? Love it. Mm-hmm. I, like, I've watched Point Break within the past five years, um, and there was also, in New York, there was something off-Broadway that was basically, like, a Point Break play. Wow. They, <laughs> that sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah. I, I missed it. I really wanted to go, but, like, they... They were passing out like the the subs and stuff like that, and then, like someone in the audience would play Johnny Utah. It was absolutely ridiculous. Whoa. Yeah, like they just bring the audience to play Johnny Utah. That's there's cool. there's a lot of um, a lot of plot holes in that film. I'm looking forward to that. One. <laughs> I'm looking forward to revisiting it because, like I said, I haven't I rented it on VHS way back in the day. <laughs> and I'm not going to spoil anything, but I've heard some things about the remake, and uh, I guess we'll get to it when we get to it. All right, I'm looking forward to it then. Oh, All right. Great, love it. So that was that was the Italian job, in the kind of Italian job. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RP Comedy. And I'm Dan Bulick. I guess you can find me at Twitter at Console Wars Guys, or just look me up on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash Console Wars. This was another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. remake.